Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking with Tony Arena, who has been on our show a couple of times now. Tony is from BCI Business Brokers, and today we're talking about a business's most valuable asset, albeit not reflected on the balance sheet, and that is its people. But before we get into it, I'll give you a brief snapshot of uh, who Tony is and his background. Um, as I said, he's the Managing Director of BCI Business Brokers. And Tony's no spring chicken to this game. He's got over 30 years experience in the business sale and acquisition industry and has personally sold and supervised the sale of over 1,000 businesses. He's delivered numerous business valuation courses for TAFE, the Australian Property Institute, the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales and the Australian Institute of Business Brokers, as well as for thousands of accountants, solicitors and advisors uh, throughout Australia. And he's also written the much acclaimed manual entitled Maximise the Value of Your Business. So, of course, he is the perfect person to talk today all about the value in a business of staff and some tips, tricks and traps in dealing with staffing issues in leading into a sale by a seller um, or by a buyer. So without further ado, here's Tony. Fabulous, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us again on the Deal Room podcast. Pleasure to be here, Joanna. Fabulous. Good, good, good. Okay. So today, of course, we're talking about business's most valuable asset, its people. And I guess let's kick off with how is this relevant, do you see, in this area of business sales and acquisitions? Where, where do people most, uh, where does this concept of the, the asset value of people come into play most often? Well, number one, it'll never appear in a balance sheet. Yeah. So it's the hidden value. I can I can open up a book that was written probably back in the 1920s, and it says the value of a business is the value of its equipment. Mm-hmm. There was no value in goodwill, no value in data. Well, there wasn't even databases. If they were, mm-hmm. they were written down on a piece of paper or a piece of cardboard. So over time, in that um, hundred odd years, we've seen value shift in businesses from the hard assets to the soft assets. We're in the service economy. We don't make many things anymore. You don't want equipment. It rusts away. You don't want stock. It just gets out of date. Mm. So the big game today is understanding the value of the soft assets, if you like, or the Mm. people assets in a business. And if uh, at my first meeting with a potential client, whether buyer or seller, that's what I'm digging down to to find out what's happening in the the people side of the business. Mm. It's such a good point because, you know, I guess from a valuation perspective, of course, we always look at 
EBIT or EBITDA and, uh, and and there's no real calculation there for people other than the cost base that, that they're driving in the business and the return. But, yeah. but obviously the value of the business sits a lot and, and generally from a legal perspective or, or from a sale perspective, we look at it from a legal perspective of, okay, well, you know, other staff locked in for any period of time? Can they leave and and take clients? But this concept of the value that um, staff brings, I think you're absolutely right, is very often not considered or not heavily discussed in terms of the value of the business as a whole. Yeah, because quite often, and with all due respect to accountants, but accountants' role is to understand the figures, get to the bottom of the figures, look at maintainability of income, uh, work out some multiple, but some people got their head so often in the figures that they don't lift their head up and look at the people assets in a business. And if you ignore them, uh, you're going to ignore them to your peril. Mm. For example, if you look at the typical startup role today, someone starts up a business, we all know their great failure rate in, in startups, unfortunately. But if one actually gets to success and the founder can attract an investor, the major question for the investor is, how am I going to get on with this founder? Yeah. And more often than not, the founder's going to exit the business as soon as a professional investor comes in because you have two people with different skill sets. Mm. You have the investor that probably can grow the business and you have the founder who's still operating in the mindset of uh, starting up the business. I think there's a book out there called uh, What Got You Here Won't Necessarily Get You There. Mm. Mm. So the whole dynamic of the growth of that business changes once two different personalities come into it. Mm. And you also see it when you've got a successful business where an owner wants to uh, appoint a general manager. So here's the person that's had total control over the business, incomes a general manager. Now, that can often work fabulously well. It can often work disastrously mm. because the owner won't let go. The, the CEO wants to entrench his position, so he wants to grab a bit of the power. Mm. And it can all go pear-shaped unless they have a proper plan. In a situation like that, the obvious answer is to have a coach that stands between the two. Mm. That's, a, I mean, that's a really sensible point because, you know, many businesses who have the foresight to prep properly heading into a sale will put themselves in a position where they're um, removing themselves from the position by integrating someone like a general manager into the business who can pass over uh, with the business. But uh, I guess, as as you rightly say, that can be the point where issues occur exactly when you don't want issues to occur in a business because you're trying to prime it for sale and you're trying to get the highest performance out of the business so that you can, uh, you know, get the highest value at sale. Uh, so, so maybe let's talk about and and before we get into some strategies, um, let's just dive a little bit deeper into this issue. Let's just talk about uh, a few examples uh, where this concept of um, not valuing and not understanding the value of the staff sufficiently has created issues in a, in a business sale or acquisition environment. So w- what are examples that you've seen in, in this area, Tony? Yeah, so I've, um, look, over 30 years, I suppose, I've, I've just picked a few, but uh, I'm actually selling a business at the moment and the owner's job, uh, he's got uh, he's got a great life with his business. He's getting onto an age where 
you, you might think time to retire, but he could he could hang a man in this business for as long as he wants. Uh, his main role is to be the glue in that business, so he doesn't have an operational role. Mm. But as he tells me, he arrives there, he knows everything about all those people. He knows their kids' birthdays, how many grandkids mm. they've got, mm. where they live, what their issues are even maybe, and I'll come back to that, the, the issues that some of your staff might have. But he proudly tells me that that's his role. Now, that's an easy business to sell. Mm. You know, he doesn't have any contact. So what we're trying to do with owners is get them out of the business and almost mm. make them redundant, no contact mm. with clients. But this contact with staff is important. Now, that could be delegated to a general manager, probably mm. even better. Mm. If the general manager who you're inheriting with the business has this relationship with the staff because what, what you don't need is staff um, walking out uh, after you buy the business. Yeah. And I can give you an example again of uh, – a negotiation where just between exchange and settlement, the key person in the business said, I want another 30 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's, fu- that- it's funny that you mentioned that because I've seen that um, in, in a couple of uh, sales and acquisitions in the last 12 months, that exact situation happened as well. And it's uh, each time it happens, uh, and in fact, um, in the instances that I've seen, it happened just before exchange of contracts, which is a terrible yeah. time for it to happen. And which if staff are aware of what's going on, you know, some staff might use it to their advantage as well to try and... Of course, um, yeah. Use that know. as a lever- Use the sale as a leverage. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's a really dangerous situation to be in because then you're, you know, you, you have to... Either you, your sale is in jeopardy or the price is in jeopardy or you're going to have to cave to demands that are being made on you. So, um, so and tell us a bit more about your example, Tony. Well, in that case, obviously... The P&L was going to cave in by 30 grand, so there's 100 grand in value gone if yeah. you're working on a three times multiple. But what that highlights is is not a staff member that was underpaid, but a staff member that wasn't happy because why would a staff member try that at the time mm. of exchange and settlement mm. or mm. in between exchange and settlement? Mm. So there's another clear case of an owner of a business not being in contact or been out of date or whatever it might be. Maybe the staff member has been underpaid, but certainly mm. not in touch with what's going on in that, that key staff member's life. To me, as a business broker, as I've said, when I'm sitting down with people, all the questions I've got are around this issue of transferability. We're talking mm. about transferability. So in valuing a business, I look at transferability, maintainability of income and profitability, those three abilities. And this mm. one of transferability, I think, is about 70% of the importance of, of those three. Mm. The other two are, are important, but uh, certainly maintainability. But transferability, a buyer sitting opposite me wants to know, how's this business going to go under my control? Not with the current owner because he's exiting. Mm. And when we're valuing businesses, that's a, a prime consideration as well. You know, how important is this owner? They say a good test of leadership is to uh, try and ensure that you make yourself redundant. I think Edward de Bono said, if you make yourself redundant in a business, you should receive your wages for life. Mm. So that that whole thing of redundancy, and if you start to achieve this in a business, keep going, keep Mm. going. Two points. Number one, your business is more saleable. Secondly, you're not under pressure to sell. 
Yeah, it's a nicer business to run in the meantime. Because you're actually enjoying, <laughs> As you're enjoying your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I can give you an, another example, Joanna, of a sale falling over by virtue of an owner not understanding what's going on with their business. Now, this was in a franchise uh, situation mm. and uh, under due diligence, the buyer started ringing franchisees and there was a revolt or a mini revolt on. Mm. So the important thing in a franchise uh, system as a franchisor here, so we're buying in as franchisor, is to know that the income is going to be ongoing. And one franchisee had already pulled out. Mm. The second one was terribly unhappy. Mm. Now, in any franchise uh, system where you have maybe 60 franchises, there's always going to be unhappy people. Mm. There's always going to be people that blame the franchisor. There's, it's, it's never 100% happy even in the strongest of franchise systems but if you have a few major franchisees that just coincidentally about the time of the acquisition are thinking of exiting the franchisor's got a, a major problem because to take over a franchise system as a franchisor is tough enough without having a revolt on your hands mm. and that sale just didn't go ahead wow and so that was the buyer who unearthed this issue was it rather yeah, than it was given access to franchisees mm, mm. and uh, that's what the buyer found out. Mm. Well, let's let's talk about each of these situations then. So, let, let's start with the first uh, situation we were talking about: this risk of of key staff leaving the business yeah. either just before sale or um, uh, between exchange and completion, or even from a buyer's perspective. I, I guess you know they're also concerned about straight after completion as well what what are the steps that let's sit both in the seller and then in the buyer's shoes so starting in the seller's shoes what are some of the steps that a seller um, can put in place in advance to try and shore up the um, the human factor in, in the value of their business so if it's a key person, let's just look at the key person. This could apply to anybody in your business, but the first thing is to make sure they're paid according to the award. Mm. Second is to understand their motivation and how long they want to hang around. For example, we know the owner's exiting, although there can be earn-out situations where they ask an owner to stay on for a year or two, but let's say the owner's exiting. What about your general manager? Do you think your general manager wants to stay? Now, if that's a surprise question to you, you're already at a disadvantage. Mm. You want to be able to say, I've spoken to the my manager and he's the best part, Joanna. He knows the business is for sale. Mm. He knows that I'm going to sell him as part of the – she, him mm. or her as part of the business and they're happy to stay. Wow, you've just won. Mm. You've just got the gold medal in, uh, in tying up staff in the business. Mm. If you haven't had that conversation, I'm afraid you're just playing Russian roulette. So, well, uh, you want to buy my business. Well, I better talk to my general manager. Well, you've just lost the game. I'm afraid mm, you're mm. you're at the mercy now of the buyer. Mm. So number one trying, is absolute yeah. communication, isn't it? And and it's interesting that you say that because many um, many sellers uh, are fearful of that sort of discussion because of the concern that um, you know that that they might create instability in the business to the yeah. staff that they're discussing this with. But you're you're saying, and, and I completely agree with you, I think communication, I, and I guess this perhaps comes down to understanding the staff as well. Perhaps it's it, this potentially can change depending on 
you you know the the personality of the staff that you're dealing with but um mm-hmm. but thinking through communication uh, I, I think I absolutely agree is a critical step what what's your thoughts about I, I've seen done quite a few times so so whether it's a percentage of the purchase price or some sort of bonus or, bonus, or incentive yeah. Look, structure I've seen that I've seen that it's worked it depends again on the relationship you can't yeah. buy your loyalty of a staff member that doesn't like you I don't think although I suppose money talks, but I don't see a lot of that. I just see it mainly as a, a good, genuine, honest conversation between an owner and the staff member and to say, when this business goes across, I'm going to tell the buyer how important you are to the business. It may be obvious for all to see, but if, if, if a staff member hears that, well, then immediately their sense of danger of the transaction is automatically reduced. Yeah. Now, when you tell one staff member, just be prepared to think that everyone's going to know. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a good point. <laughs> they huddle around the coffee room. So, but that's fine because staff come and go. We, we, we don't say there's a 100% guarantee that all staff will want to stay with you, mm. but it's the key infrastructure of the business that we want to try and keep together. And and so if, if the person you've just told goes and tells a lot of people, but they're calm about it, that, that sense of calmness should provide the whole staff roster, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So then f- flipping over, let's sit in the seat of the buyer. What can a buyer do to give themselves the best shot at locking in this value for an appropriate period of time post-completion? Yeah, so the buyer's job is a lot easier if the vendor has already spoken to staff mm. because then the buyer will have access to those staff people. Mm. And here's another risk, I suppose. The buyer comes in and says, well, I don't like that general manager. I didn't get a really good sense of, of that conversation. Mm. I suppose you could risk losing your sale. Mm. But I don't often see that happen. Mm. I usually see a good transition with an owner forewarning staff what's going to happen. A buyer comes in, doesn't upset the staff. Every single buyer should be saying to themselves as they sign this contract, I'm not going to change this business in the first 12 months. Mm. Now, if they're true to that uh, promise to themselves, well, then people's jobs should be safe. Mm. I think that's a really good point. And, and in fact, it, very interestingly, I've had um, a number of episodes of this podcast recently where um, our guests have shared exactly the same concept of leave it sit for 12 months. So yeah, clearly, it's if so many people are saying it, Tony, I think it clearly has a lot of merit. <laughs> you know what? I'm dealing with, uh, I'm active for a buyer at the moment and we're buying different businesses in a particular industry, and their intention was to convert some of those clients. Now they're in the business, they realise those clients are so profitable, just leave them straight where they are mm, mm. and look at converting people that there is a relationship with but they're not currently clients or there's a telephone number there that they can use and then use uh, approach those people to try and add to the business but not interrupt the status quo. So mm. there's people who <clears throat> with a certain view of how the business is going to work after transition changing that view Mm. and I think that buyers have to maintain that flexibility Mm, mm, mm. and be prepared to change uh, mid-course according to what they find when they buy the business I mean no one absolutely knows you know McDonald's puts franchisees through I believe nine months of training before they approve them wow got to go and work in shops it's it's absolutely um, the highest level of training that I've seen in any franchise network and maybe that's 
different today, but it's certainly the way they did do it. Even they can't guarantee that the franchisee is going to succeed. Mm, mm, so the mm. people test is fine, but you know how to really test it, put the person in the job. Mm, mm. And what do you say about, you know, I, I'm seeing the approach of buyers coming in and and treating new staff uh, like uh, an employment process. So running staff through, you know, one-to-one interviews to get to know them um, yeah. and and running personality profiles and, and yeah. doing all of this um, work on diving into, um, you know, who the staff are and yeah. how they operate. Yeah. Um, so and, and from my perspective, I mean, in those situations, I've seen, you know, enormous success out of that in the transition period. Uh, Maybe if you can talk about some some things that you've seen done perhaps that were standout performances in in terms of how you've seen the the staff element dealt with, either from the buyer or sales side. Yeah, look, I think from a buyer's point of view, one of the best transitions I um, I saw was from a fellow who I think he bought a foundry and there were two aspects, there were two choices and, in fact, he did go down both paths. He he went to the personality testing, mm. um, but he put that aside and then just sat down one-on-one with each staff member to try and understand, as I've, as I've suggested a seller should do with each of the staff or each of their key staff, so that they can properly inform a buyer of what their roster looks like and where it's likely to be. And that buyer did wonderfully well in the acquisition of that business. I remember asking a professional footballer once, who was the best coach that you ever had? And he told me it was uh, Wayne Bennett because Wayne Bennett actually sat down and made you feel as though you were an important part of the team. Mm. He wanted to understand you as an individual. Mm. Now, if you've got a coach up there, say, uh, uh, let's, let's take it straight across to the business analogy here. If you have a business owner that gets everyone in a room and says, okay, we're going to test you all and we're going to find your best abilities and then we're going to you know, increase your wages by 10% and then, but not sit down individually with each of those people, you're going to feel like you've been talked at. Mm. And that's the last thing you need, people to walk out of that room and say, well, that was a lot of BS, wasn't it? We're, we're, mm. I don't know where we're going in this business. So the one-on-one, if, I, if, we, if people listening to this um, interview take nothing else away, just remember that the one-on-one takes more time. It's probably got more risk yeah, as far as each of the parties to the conversation go, but the rewards are, are much greater than, than trying to treat everybody with the same approach. Mm. And you know, from a buyer's perspective, and of course, the whole theme of the episode today is talking about the value that sits in um, in, in staff. But mm. I think from a buyer's perspective, recognizing that value by spending that um, that time, you know, whether it's them or or the um, ultimate managers if they're bringing in new managers for for teams but spending that time up front will pay off um, massively in terms of dividends in 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 smoothing the transition I think that's an important message to pass on that you know this needs to be added to your checklist you need to be spending time in this area in the people side Joanna we're living in 2020 and we need 2020 vision 
here's 2020 vision for you. Yeah. In 1920, life was a lot more simple. Mm. We came in, in many cases, we just operated the machine, we went home, we were happy, unhappy. No one really asked that question. Mm. Today, we're living in a, in a world where uh, two in four people will have a mental health issue this year, mm. right across the board. Mm. There's solid statistics to say that 75% of people either hate or aren't engaged in their job. So just let those statistics sink in a little bit. So can you say that again? 75% of people are either not engaged or hate their job. In fact, it's probably 80% because 20% of people love their job and the other two categories left are hate and uh, not that interested. Wow. And by far the majority is probably about 60% that, okay, it's a job, but I just go there for the money. That's outrageous. Whereas... The ideal employee should be saying yeah. at the end of the day, I really felt as though I contributed there. Yep. Now, here's the rub. In, if this podcast was being played in 2030, we would have arrived at the position where artificial intelligence basically and computers are running the show. At the moment, they're running a good part of the show, but there's going to be an explosion in computers actually doing our job. What's left for the people? Mm. So here's what's left for the people. I still need to work with the machine. The machine won't totally take over. So the hybrid model is widely mooted by people as to the one that will be the most successful. Someone's doing the thinking in my, in my machine because doctors in no way a doctor can come up with the answers that the machine can and robots are taking over in operating theatres. So even the most skilled of people have been pushed aside. What will, those pe- what will their role be? So a manager or an owner of a business like that has to say, but the challenge is really on then, okay, what, how do I treat people like this? How do I provide meaning in their work? The money will flow because the machines are going to save us so much money. But that will be the, that will be the serious question. And if, you, if I go back to the stat of two in four people this year will have a mental health issue mm. across the board, if you sit down with someone and provide the opportunity for that person to talk about what's going on and you uncover that there's an issue either inside or outside the business, and you are partly successful or totally successful in turning that around, what sort of an employee do you have now? Mm. You have an employee that appreciates your respecting that they spend most of their time at work. We're either at work or on the, on the train or bus going to work. Then we get home, turn the television on, turn on the computer, go to sleep, get up, get ready for go to work, go to work. So work is such a big part of our existence these days, mm. probably bigger than any time in our history. So, if you, my employer, sit down actually want to find out what's going on in my life, I'm going to stick with you. You're going to have massive loyalty. What's mm. more, my productivity is going to go up by 30 or 40%. Mm. That's the challenge for business owners and managers these days, to get the best out of their current staff. Mm. And if I can take you back, you said that one of the important elements is considering how we provide meaning in yeah. the work that's mm. done um, by our teams. Mm. What's some ideas here of how you can help provide meaning? Okay, so here's a way of providing meaning. Joanna, I'd like to sit down with you today. You know, I've got an issue in the company. Do you have any ideas of how I can solve that? Mm. Oh, boss, I never thought you'd ask me. I think X, Y, and Z. Hey, you know what? Next time I go to take that to a Would you like to develop that, Joanna, and put it in a page to me? Mm. See, I, I speak to a lot of young people who have four daughters at the age of 30 to roughly 40, unless you won't be happy about me saying that, so 30, <laughs> not, 
30, 30, let's say 39. <laughs> and they're all in workplaces and they have uh, partners and friends. And uh, one of the questions I'll often ask is how much meaning is there mm. in your work? Mm. Do you feel valued? Mm. And that's, that's a pretty simple answer. That's one mm. of the simplest answers to give. It's often the hardest to rectify. But if you're not even trying, here's, here's how not to do it. I arrive at work, someone says, there's a computer, there's the list of people you've got to ring or that's the work you've got to accomplish today. And I don't get any involvement in that process other than doing what someone else told me to do. Yeah. That's how not to do it. Yeah. How to do it is to try and mine the, the incredible experience of young people today, mine it, develop it, appreciate it, bring it out and implement it. Now how do you feel? You're 27 at work and your boss has said, Sit down. I, w- I want your help. Now I'm valued. Mm, mm. There's no other way. Money, forget it. When they, mm. when they put the list up of what people want in their work, money's up there, but meaning is number one. I love this discussion, Tony. I think it's a really important one. Um, it's interesting, and and I guess obviously initially we were talking about this element in relation to the value of a business and and how to deal with it at sa- at sale and and at acquisition if you're on the buy side uh uh, we seem to have gone even deeper and dovetailed <laughs> into. Um, We've almost changed straight. the topic, I think, Joanne. <laughs> but I love it. I, I really love it. And, of course, this is not just something relevant to people at sale or at acquisition. It's relevant for all business owners always. Let me leave you with this point. Sorry to jump over the top of mm, you there. Mm. But um, and people might think this is a good plug for a business broker. But <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Quite often, uh, I'll meet someone and they're so tired, they're so over it, they hate their business where they're suffering financial uh, stress or whatever yeah. it might be. I say, yeah. well, look, would you, would you hang on for another year? The answer's no. Would you be prepared to stay in there and work with a new owner? The answer's generally no. So any advice, here's my advice to people who may not think they want to sell. Think about the prospect of getting someone in to help you. That might mm. be an equity partner, uh, but that's what I'm talking about. Getting mm. someone in earlier than you thought that can help you develop the business, maybe by half now, mm. help you develop it, and by the time you sell the other half, it could be worth twice as much as the first half you got paid for. Mm. So don't leave it till the last minute. Number one, don't leave improving your business till the last minute. Don't start thinking about these issues only when you ring the broker or your accountant to get your final figures. Start thinking about this issue now. When will be the good time to sell? And maybe earlier is better. Mm, mm. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I guess the other the other warning here is in this prep for sale, as you go through the advice of um, removing yourself from the business and implementing a general manager or someone who pass over uh, on the management side with the business, also don't think that just by engaging someone in that role that that's job done and it will it will work smoothly because you you need to make sure you uh, properly manage and get invested in the general manager if that's who you're hiring yeah. um, to ensure that you're maximizing the value of them and the team under them yeah. um, for for the sale and not creating you know, potential issues right at the point of sale. As we've if you're thinking of general manager, think five years out. Yeah. 
because number one, you're going to take a hit. Someone will be coming in to do the work that you are currently doing. So unless, and that might be selling or it could be managing. So there's a training period. So the business is going to suffer a financial loss when you put a general manager on. But believe me, the businesses I sell of high value have all got one. Mm. Mm. And can you give us like a bit of a snapshot here? You know, is there a rough increase in multiple that you can attribute to having a general manager that will pass over or management that will pass over versus um, versus not? But this depends on on popularity of particular businesses at, at particular times. There are going to be some businesses that. Let me take a real estate agency, for example, which could be sold on a multiple of its top-line profits, the property management side of it anyway. Mm. Uh, it's going to help you get that maybe half a multiple of mm. profit out of it extra if you have a well-qualified property manager in place. Mm. But where, you, where a business is sold on a rule of thumb, probably less relevant, maybe this half multiple I'm talking about. But a bigger business, which denotes a business that maybe can put on a general manager, uh, one to two multiples. Mm. That's pretty decent if you. That's. Talking. I mean, it is like that's it, that really is a, quite a large amount. And you know, remembering obviously when we're looking at this value at sale as well, it's it's generally also a very tax efficient way of getting that money out of your business uh, rather than the profit each year as well, right? So, um, so Yeah, so. well, there, there are tax breaks on selling your business, capital gains tax, which I'm sure you've had many experts talking about. So, mm-hmm. Fabulous. Okay, well, look, uh, Tony, this was a, uh, a really good discussion. I, I think it's a really critical area and, and I think it's great that this is something that you're working through with your clients and helping them to assess um, in terms of recognising the value that sits there in their business that maybe they hadn't really thought about attributing a value to uh, in the past. Yeah, look, I hope it's helped someone. I We sold a, a major franchise or again or many years ago now and the people that come to us from a couple of different directions, husband and wife sat down and, I, and she said, uh, the wife said, uh, you don't remember but you gave us a... A talk on maximizing the value of your business at a particular exhibition within our industry. I said, oh, good. That means that you followed all those things and your business is going to be worth a packet. <laughs> Ironically, she had the best systems that I Really? Ah, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so I, didn't, I, I didn't turn a non-system. You have to be systematic. Yeah. Uh, unless you're going to have an overnight makeover. But So she was good to start, but, but wow, she had just um, done this five-year a plan, everything was right, all the systems, all the staff in place, and she was um, wonderfully rewarded. So mm. the message, start working early. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good message. And, and, and as you say, perhaps that also saves an owner from coming into a sale and being absolutely dependent on that sale happening as quickly as possible so that they can get out because it's causing them pain. Obviously, the model that you're talking about, it's a model that is um, giving the owner the opportunity to uh, sort of have a slow exit from the business whilst they still own it. Yeah. Look, if any of your listeners are interested in uh, sitting down with me uh, to discuss these issues and not take all day, but I'm happy to offer a free consultation to business owners with uh, who are 
sort of facing these issues, I'm happy to sit down with them or, or, a, or a phone call. Brilliant. Okay. So, um, of course, if you are running along the beach or in your uh, daily commute, which you were, (laughs) um, you may not have a pen at the ready to write down Tony's details. So, we will put all of his um, details in the show notes. But, Tony, for those people who have got their pen in hand right now, um, how can they find you? bcibusinessbrokers.com.au. I'm on Twitter as Tony Arena. My telephone number, 0411-888-148. Okay, wonderful. And as I said, we'll put links through to all of that in our show notes. Well, Tony, thank you once again for joining Pleasure. us on the Deal Room podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed it today. I hope people are getting plenty of good deals after this, hey? <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, you have yourself a stellar afternoon. And same to you, Joanna. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room podcast. If you'd like more information about this topic or if you'd like to get the details of Tony Arena, then all you have to do is head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com or check out your show notes. We'll link through to everything in those show notes. There, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. And well, that wraps up our show uh, again for today. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next episode. And until then, have a fabulous week. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 